Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to a, another episode of the Chase Thomas podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas, coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, a rainy Labor Day here in Knoxville, Tennessee, where I am joined by my good friend out there in Los Angeles, California, of 49ers Hub. It is Evan Swartz, the overserved man of the weekend himself. Evan, good evening, sir. How are you? I am exhausted. Labor, <laughs> Labor Day has been fun. Summer's officially over, and I am ready to reset and, and cleanse my body. I feel that. I feel that it is. Uh, it's weird. It when we get older, especially in like in this particular industry, um, you don't even realize that like what holidays are. So I'm like sending out emails, working on stuff, and then someone reminds me, you know, it's Labor Day. It's like, oh, that makes sense with certain things about. Okay, it's a holiday today. Did not realize right. today was actually a holiday, and people had off work and were were just having fun at pools and stuff like that uh, on Labor Day. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's gonna. Be, I'm very excited to have the break. There you go. Um, also joining us in a little bit uh, when he jumps on, uh, Nick McGee uh, should be here in a little bit. Uh, great NFL writer, but uh, look out for him on the pod as we continue on here. We are a mere couple days away. Like this is going up Tuesday morning for uh, folks in their morning commute, Evan, and we are right there. The NFL season, Thursday night football, Rams, Bills. I'm very excited. Josh Allen versus Matthew Stafford on Thursday night as the Rams get their their rings and trophy presentation and all that good stuff. Um, very very excited to uh, to see that one on Thursday night. We get Week One, an amazing college football uh, weekend. I'm sorry about your Ducks. That was uh, that was rough. I don't know if you caught any of that game on uh, Saturday. You avoided I, it. I was I was drinking my way through that game. I, I wasn't I wasn't watching. I had friends in town visiting. Um, and we were all Duck fans, too. So I think we saw the first score. And, like, once we started to realize how bad it was getting, we were just like, okay. I mean, at least that there's no there's no surprises that you have to wait for at the end of the year. You know that they can't, again, stack up against these big southern football teams. Uh, you know, it is, it is a thing. Um, before we move into our kind of picks and predictions around the NFL for – uh, this season, we're going to do our first screw the lines NFL regular season picks coming up uh, as we do at this time every year, which I'm very excited about to revisit this because we actually have games to talk about. Um, I want to kind of do a, a broad strokes of our picks of like uh, who our final Super Bowl predictions are first coach fired, who we think that will be the AFC and NFC MVP. Um, and then something I think is pretty interesting because it happens to everybody and we just uh, we don't talk about it. It's just that like who has the season from hell? the AFC who has the season from hell in the NFC where uh, everything made sense on paper and it just doesn't go that way for a variety of reasons. So we'll get into all that and our picks uh, in just one second. But Evan, first things first, um, your 49ers, they cut Trey Sermon. Um, That is something we talked about in the pod. That was a possibility, Um, man. So after the 53 man roster, was that the, the biggest surprise for you? You know, we had talked about that a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. I remember I, I told you, I was like, there's some people that think he might get cut. And, uh, you know, it sucks. As a, as a 49ers fan, after, you know, drafting Joe Williams, which no one who is not a 49ers fan knows who Joe Williams is, because mm-hmm. it was one, one of Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch's first draft picks. He was a third-round running back, 
Um, and he like never played. He, he was mm. terrible from the start. He got cut. No, he didn't even like land on a practice squad afterwards. Like he never should have gone to the NFL. Mm. Um, and then so they draft another running back again. This time bigger pedigree. Ohio State should be a whole thing. And we were really expecting a lot out of it. Mm. Um, but for the most part, I think it's a good it's I think it's a good thing in that Jordan Mason, who's an undrafted free agent, is someone that they really liked and they thought was looking really good in camp. And it, they said, you know, it was more about him than anything we would have loved to have Trey on the practice squad, but he obviously made it to the Eagles. Um so, you know, we've had Dante Pettis leave and want to see kind of what happens with him in Chicago. We'll see week one. You know, Cap never really got his chance after leaving. Alex Smith got, uh, you know, the Chiefs. I'm excited to see what happens with Trey Sermon. I hope, you know, he's on a good team. Uh, the Eagles have a really good roster. Uh, I'll be very curious to know, was it just, you know, the not not a good fit with Kyle. Maybe they didn't get along. Was it a talent thing? Is he just not a good NFL running back? Uh, but I do think him going to the Eagles means we'll probably be able to answer those questions by the end of the season. Well, he's also going to a roster where Miles Sanders can never stay healthy. And then you got right. Kenneth Gainwell. He's going to get an opportunity uh, yeah. in Philadelphia. Um, but we'll see. Very interesting nonetheless. And it's the least of the San Francisco 49ers concerns is uh, who's at running back. Just stop taking them early. That's all you got to do. If you're Kyle Shanahan, just stop taking them early. Especially with Elijah Mitchell and Matt Breida and Raheem Mostert and now Jordan Mason. Like, it's a waste of a pick. Yeah. Nick McGee is here joining us. Nick? Welcome to the program, sir. You made it. Made it. A few te- technical difficulties, but we're, we're here now. All well and good. How are no, you doing, buddy? It's all good, man. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, Nick, give us the most interesting thing about leads that most people do not know, because my expertise on leads is 1000% based on the show, The Increasingly Poor Decisions of Todd Margaret. <laughs> the most interesting <laughs> thing about Mm-hmm. That is. Can I just go really, really basic and say that it's a really, really good place to go have a beer? That's like an okay, maybe not to the American audience, but like it is a very, very good night out. There's a lot of bars. The bar scene is an excellent for a, a city in the north of England where it's cold all the time. The bar scene is very, very good. There you go. Um, we were talking about the 53-man roster, Trey Sermon getting cut uh, by the San Francisco 49ers, a team that you are also quite familiar with, Nick. Mm-hmm. Um, were there any other ma- major surprises for you on the final 53 for San Francisco? Um, not particularly. I mean, the, I tend to get quite granular. So I was, I'm talking about back offensive, back offensive, offensive line making, which is, might not be most interesting to most people in the audience, but it was a pretty – Standard. Um, I don't think I don't think anything really stood out to me, to be honest. The, the sermon was the, the initial surprise was that Fotley was going to stick with five running backs. It looked like it. It looked like they were going to go with all five, which I thought might be extra insurance against how often they can skip, tend to get injuries there. Like, the Niners all cycle through running backs. There might be a point this season where all four of them are injured. Um, it wasn't the biggest surprise that Mason made it over him. He's quite. Um, he's what Shanahan looks for in a running back. He's very decisive. Good. Good burst. Maybe the biggest uh, biggest surprise stick on the offense is um, keep once they made the corresponding moves, going keeping Tyler Croft. Hmm. Actually, having a definitive second receiving tight end with George Kittle is not something they've had for a while. They've had Ross Dwelly, who can only make plays in spurts. Charlie Warner is a blocking tight end, so having Tyler Croft, who when he's healthy, I mean that's been the big knock on him that he can't stay healthy, but when he is healthy, 
he can be a, a that second tight end threat that complement to George Kill. Help allow them to still have a receiving threat out of twenty two personnel when they run two back, two tight ends, you can have Kittle stay into block. And I know Evan doesn't always like Kittle staying into block, even though he's really good at it. Um, <laughs> I, that, I like it. I just would like to see him <laughs> score some touchdowns. See it less often, yeah. So that and the but still when when Kittle does do that, you can still run a tight end out there. Tyler Croft made some decent gains in, in preseason. He's quite smooth in the open field as a route runner. So that was one that stood out to me that I was quite happy with. It was a pleasant surprise. I like it. I like it. Falcons, the biggest one on our end was uh, Jared Bernhardt, who was a lacrosse player <laughs> uh, not too long ago and a one-year quarterback at Ferris State. He, like, if you had told me before the season that, like, this man would make, not only make this roster, but, like, he might have a potential path to getting playing time outside of special teams on this roster, when you bring in Auden Tate and the kind of guys that Arthur Smith wanted, he was like, I only want bigs i want 610 and up i only want long receivers brian edwards auden tate uh drake london kyle pitts like long 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 and then he goes and he cuts auden tate and you know limited zacchaeus is just like apparently behind the scenes like guys really like uh limited so just having him in the locker room is good um but demario bird Kaderil Hodge and Jared Bernhardt being the other receivers outside of Drake London and Brian Edwards is wild to me. And I would would not have thought in a million years that was going to be the wide receiver rotation in Atlanta this fall. But that being the case, and then Audrey Allison, who I think flashed a little bit uh, this preseason getting cut and Huntley getting cut and going with like, hey, Tyler Algier, we drafted him. Damian Williams, we'll see. But we're we're we drafted a running back for a reason, so we can't just keep all these guys in this in this locker room. So, I don't know. I'm very fascinated to see uh, how the offense and how the rotations work because uh, there are some major question marks that uh, Arthur Smith's taken uh, taking some chances on here. I mean, the one thing we haven't really talked about that I, I just uh, and it's weird because I'm a Duck fan, but mm. like how how do you feel about Marcus Mariota? I mean, he kind of looked good in preseason. Ritter looked better, but I will say, like, Mariota looks fine. Mariota will be fine. It's just Mariota is not playing 17 games. Like, that's the whole thing is, like, I don't see Mariota making it that long. And, like, he was he was missing Kyle Pitts behind him a little bit. He had some, some ducks, pardon uh, the lack of a better word there, but he had some duck balls. And Ritter throws a better ball. And eventually, Ritter also just moves the pocket a little bit better. Mariota's still taking some shots. And I just don't see, with our offensive line and the way it's currently constructed, and Caleb McGarry looked better at that right tackle spot uh, this preseason, which is great. But, I mean, I would, still wouldn't be surprised if Jermaine Effetti uh, found his way onto the right tackle spot at some point. Maybe they rotate. Um, Jalen Mayfield is still very much in this conversation. We'll see what Matt Hennessy looks like at the center spot. But the Falcons' offensive line is going to be one of the worst in football and i don't think that's conducive to a 17 game above average season for marcus Mariota. i don't know what do you think nick well there's no way he can have a worse time playing at mercedes-benz stadium than he had on saturday watching Oregon. <laughs> he was uh mm-hmm. looking pretty depressed by the end of that game which i don't really blame him that uh, i was pretty depressed by him in that game hoping it'd be mm. a good one 
Uh, yeah, we're getting all the bad the bad juju out early. <laughs> but I will say, Mariota is like the nicest human being. Like every oh, yeah. video I watch with Mariota, you're just like, I want this guy in my locker room forever. I want he's like the Alex Smith of uh, the modern quarterback, where you just want him in your locker room. You don't want him as your starting quarterback, but you're like, I need this guy in my quarterback room for the rest of my life. Yeah, and that's but that's probably part of the reason why they brought him in. He's a nice mm. guy. He can be that bridge guy. He might get a chance to rehabilitate his career. I think they, they both looked okay in preseason Mario Arida. They did a lot of the same stuff. They got them out on the move. They can both mm. run. They do a lot of the pistol stuff like that. So it's stuff that's going to maybe try and like mitigate the impact of that really bad offensive line. Um, and yeah, he's got some weapons, man. Big people, as the NFL saying, you've got Kyle Pitts and Drake London with massive catch radius. Is he going to move the ball from time to time? So I think it could look better than what many people expect for the Falcons. There is some reason for optimism, I think. We'll see. The, the NFC South is just a gigantic wild card. We got uh, Tom and Giselle staying at different houses. We've got uh, Sean Payton being out the door. We got Baker Mayfield in Carolina. I just have no so, idea. What I know we're, we're we're in a little bit of a, you know, we got to go fast tonight. So I, yeah. I do want to ask what your thoughts are on Peter King saying that he has the Saints as the who he thinks will basically win the NFC with 12 wins. I look, I appreciate when sports writers actually go out on a limb and go and not just go. I think it's going to be the Bills and Chiefs in the AFC title game. And then I think it's going to be the Packers versus the, I don't know, Packers versus insert or Bucks in the NFC title game. And then I got Packers, Bills or something. It's like, that's boring. Like, that's, that's boring. Go outside the box a little bit. No one had the Bengals going to the Super Bowl this past year. Pick somebody outside the box and like the, the Saints, all things considered, I mean, I don't think it's crazy. Kamara not getting suspended uh, and missing the first uh, six, seven games or whatever it was looking like for him this year. That's huge for them. A healthy Michael Thomas. We've seen this team go to the NC title games uh, several times in the last couple of years. Wouldn't be, that would not jump out at me. It's like the Saints could go 12 and 5, and that wouldn't surprise me. The Saints could go 7 and 10, and that wouldn't surprise me either. What about you, Nick? There's a lot of things that have to go right. Like, first off, it has to go badly in Tampa Bay for them to win mm. that division, I think. Like the, if the Bucks' offensive line collapses and Brady can't deal with it, he's getting a lot of interior pressure, which you know, every quarterback hates, even him, mm. then there is the potential for it to go sideways there and for the Saints to take advantage. It's just you're, you're asking a lot. You're asking Jameis Winston to be what he was for a couple of games where he looked good. Last mm. year. You're asking that, that to go right. You're asking for Michael Thomas to be healthy, for Chris Olave to hit the ground running right away, not impossible. Love Chris Olave. The off- offensive line to gel when they've got this Trevor Penning guy who's injured on him and he's not injured, he's fighting in practice. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, you've, got, you've got the new head coach. You've got Pete Dennis, Dennis Allen. He's obviously been there a while. He's the, mm. as a DC. He's now going to head coach. You have to, and he, the last time he was a head coach, it didn't really go very well. Um, defense is good, but again, you've just traded Gardner Johnson and the guys at front are getting a bit older. You can like Cam Jordan and the like. Demario Davis is <laughs> definitely in the twilight of his career. It's just asking for a lot of stuff to go right for them to be the number one seed in the NFC. It's kind of not out of the realm's possibility. I agree with that because they've established that culture where they win. Like even last year, they were on the fringes of making the playoffs with Taysom Hill at quarterback, which is impressive. But you've also, you've also lost Sean Payton, who is probably half the reason why that happened in the first place. Right. I just think it's a big, big jump to go from nearly making the playoffs to Taysom Hill to being the number one seed with a new head coach and a different quarterback. I wouldn't be surprised if they won nine games. That new feels head, about right. Like a five new head game. coach, James Winston is can be good, but he's not. He's not a great quarterback by any means. 
they're playing in the division with the with the Bucks. Like, nah. They're just like the Steelers of the NFC for me this year, where mm-hmm. it's just they have a high floor. I just don't know if they have the highest ceiling. I just I could it's hard for me to see it just falling apart um, over there. Um, we're going to play a fun game. So before we get into our screw the lines uh, week one NFL picks where we have a special guest, uh, Nick McGee, here to do these with us. Um, I want to do this round robin. So game you are most excited about in week one, Evan, is which game? Outside of your own, you can't say the 49ers. Right, yeah. I mean, I, I'm going – I think the the NFL did a fantastic this, uh, job this year with the schedule because right away, Bills, Rams, mm. former, uh, you know, the Super Bowl winners in the Rams and what I think could be the best team in the NFL this year. Um, I'm biased because the, the, the Rams beating the Niners to go to the, the Super Bowl hurts still, so I'm glad to see that Josh Allen is going to curb stomp the Rams this year. Uh, the Bills are going to destroy them. I like it. Nick, what about you? What's your favorite week one matchup? I'll go Sunday and go Cardinals and the Chiefs. Huh. Uh, yeah. Just, well, I think the Chiefs will win this game, but I, I, think, I think it'll be a fire show. Um, mm-hmm. I just think of how badly it could go for the Cardinals on defense. This has the potential to be a disaster and set up already like a real like week one crisis in Arizona already. With If you get... 40 50 on them by the Chiefs. I don't think this defense is going to be very good. And if it's going to be the Chiefs putting on the 40 or 50 burger, I think you could already set like Cliff Kings with his hot seat being on fire even after one game, even against one of the best teams in the AFC. So, yes, I'm really intrigued to see how that plays out because it could be really fun. But I can see the Chiefs just going absolutely ham on them and putting up a ridiculous amount of points. That's interesting. I mean, that's like one of those wild card games where I could see it going completely. Two different ways where I don't yeah. think it'll be close. I don't think it's going to be like a back and forth. Either the it'll Chiefs be, blow them out or the Cardinals come out of nowhere and it just is. have the opening. Because, like, remember, who was the week, like, one through seven king? It's I was going to say, Kingsbury. this is early season Cardinals. Mm. This is it. That's like their final form. That's yes. when they're at their strongest <laughs> is when there's nothing on the line. Yeah, uh, that's why I, I – that's a good pick. I, I'm excited to see how that one goes. Uh, for me, I would say the one that I am most curious about and like, like Falcon Saints right away, it's kind of wild. I don't remember the last time the Falcons opened with the Saints. Um, but I do really want to see Pat's Dolphins. Like Pat's Dolphins to me, I have got to see what this Pat's offense looks like after everything we've heard in training camp and not having real coordinators coordinating this offense and who's calling plays. I want to see how this looks. Like that's the thing is I really want to see how this looks. And I want to see how Tua looks with this group. I want to see how Tua looks with uh, Terry Kill. That one I'll have my eye on for certain. So I'm excited to do some film study on that one. Um, the fantastic week one lineup. Fantastic. fantastic. Week one. Yeah. Um, your Super Bowl pick, Nick, right now, putting it on the record. It is Monday, September 5th. Who are you putting in the Super Bowl right now? The Buffalo Bills and the Green Bay Packers. Okay. I like it. Nick. Evan's not going to What like the it. hell? He can't stay in the pack. <laughs> okay. You know what? I, you know, me and Nick, for anyone that doesn't know, I, I have known Nick for a very, like, nine years now. He's oh, wow. worked with the 49ers hub. Uh, you know, he's, me and him have been in, in a group chat. Like, I think that's <laughs> as old as, like, most people's children. Mm. Um, I love Nick to death. I can't believe he just said he sees the Packers losing Devontae Adams and then mm. going to the Super Bowl. 
better better defense, which been much better defense this year. Stay healthy. Jai Alexander, really good defensive front. I think the second level will be a lot better. They should be better against the run. And I just think who better than Aaron Rodgers when he has oh no he has something to prove. Like yeah. Yeah, we don't don't have Devontae Adams. So I'm gonna I'm gonna make these two rookies into superstars in my first year. Particularly Romeo Dobbs looks fantastic. It's not a a slight against our our beloved team, um, but I just do want to be the homer pick. And obviously, again, you're asking a lot for a rookie quarterback to make a Super Bowl when the first never never happened. So I think could have an encouraging yeah. year for the Niners, but I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, everybody's favorite anti-vaxxer in the in the biggest game of, uh, <laughs> of the year. <laughs> there you go. What about uh, what about you, Evan? Who do you have in the Super Bowl? As of right now, you're putting it on the record here on the podcast, Blue Wire Pod Network. The tapes are forever. Who are you doing? Yeah, I think this will be no surprise to anyone here, especially Chase. <laughs> I will be taking the 49ers coming out of the NFC and the Chargers. Uh, oh, the wow. I like that pick. I like that pick. I, oh, wow. I, I think what we saw from Justin mm-hmm. Herbert, I think he's only going to get better this year. They obviously added – you know, the best corner in the free agency and JC Jackson, and then obviously Khalil Mack and trade. I, I think the chargers are going to stand at the top of like a Royal rumble of the AFC West. And they're going to mm. come out. They're going to come out of it strong. And yeah, then they're going to lose to the 49ers. In the, in the Super Bowl. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> I, I like it. I, right. um, I am going to go Baltimore Ravens. I think, this is the ultimate like FU year from Lamar Jackson and the pay stuff and missing the playoffs last year. The narrative surrounding Lamar has gotten crazy and I love their talent. Healthy JK Dobbins. I, I think this defense is going to be one of the league's best. I just, this strikes me as the Lamar MVP type year. I would not be surprised if he's in the final one too, and we'll get an MVP in a second, but I've got Ravens in the AFC one in the AFC. And then, Evan, plug your ears. I've got the Packers in the NFC. And we should also say who we think is going to win. So I'm, I have the Ravens winning the Super Bowl this year, and I have the Ravens beating the Packers in the Super Bowl. You guys will never learn your lesson. That's fine. <laughs> you just put the Los Angeles Chargers who have made the playoffs one time in the last nine years in the Super right. Bowl. But they are a completely different organization now. They have new, new coach, new players, new mm-hmm. quarterback, everything. Mm-hmm. It's all like fully remod- fully remodeled, fully restored, brand new engine, ready to go. Mm-hmm. Just, I'm telling you, Justin Herbert is him. <laughs> he is. There's more to just the the Chargers issues than Justin Herbert. We can all acknowledge there is the Chargers curse. I don't know what it is. Uh, they make sense on paper every him, single year. They're the on paper super team. They're the on paper super team. He is him Harbaugh, <laughs> Hambo Fisher. <laughs> All right, hammer for debt. He I still, is him. I cannot feel confident about them until I see some significantly improved game management after the end of last season. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah you, I that, that, I say this. Yeah. that is that is something that you either you either figure out and fix, or you never come back from that. Like, yeah. we'll see. I'm still perplexed as why they didn't just tie that game, but 
that one you go to the playoffs like that whole situation not just that makes sense to me that i mean i guess it's just the competitive nature of the court like it's just there's something about it integrity of the game i i don't know that that's one of those that will always just be one of the weirder scenarios Mm -hmm. um but who did you have nick uh winning bills or packers i'm going going the bills okay i think it's uh, time for josh allen Okay, I like it. Um, this is something that I'm very curious about, um, Evan. First coach fired for you. Someone's getting fired this NFL season, during the season. Who do you think is getting fired first? I mean, so on one end, hmm. I want to say Mike McCarthy. Because it should be Mike McCarthy. But on the other, the Cowboys are notorious for taking way too long to fire their head coaches. Mm. Uh, I I hope that they don't. Or I hope that they do because then they just stay bad. Uh, I think I'm going to say Mike McCarthy. I think the, I think the Cowboys, especially this season, are going to, you know, I mean, they're coming out of the gate. They have to play um, the Bucks on Sunday mm-hmm. night football. And I think they're going to lose that game. And I think that's, you know, like Nick was talking about earlier about like setting the tone for the season. I think them losing to the Bucks in maybe a very bad fashion could really get that ball moving quickly. That's interesting. I just, you look at that schedule though. You mentioned that right out of the gate, like you get um, Tampa at home on Sunday night football, which would be a fun game. And I feel like they were on it two years ago, right? Wasn't that the opener on Sunday night football a couple years ago, but it was in Tampa. I think uh, it was bucks uh, Cowboys, which I believe went down to the wire. I think that was a really good game that went, uh, yeah. went down the wire and Dak had a really good game. Um, but I will say uh, McCarthy is interesting, but you go to, you get Bengals at home in week two then go to New York. So those first three, I will see, but they're scheduled the rest of the way. Like you look at that October slate, the November slate, you get the lions, you get the bears at home, you go to Minnesota, you get the Colts at home, you get the Texans at home, you get the AFC South. Like this is a very manageable schedule for the Cowboys uh, and the NFC East as a whole. And that's why I think a lot of people are drinking the the Eagles and Cowboys Kool-Aid a little bit. It's just that like the schedule is just, it's just not that bad. Um, what about you, Nick? Who who's your first coach fired? I'm going to stay in the same division, but go with uh, Ron Rivera. Hmm. Uh, they have quite a what was it? Jackie was week one, and they played the Lions week two. But hmm. they, Nick, I think your service just cut out right when you said that. Did you hear us? Yeah, it's a little choppy as we're going. Hey, look at that. Nothing like ending everything with some technical difficulties, right? What happened? Nick froze. I, you got to understand. Stuck in leads. Nick is eight hours ahead in the future, right? Anything could happen. We don't know. You that know? is true. He's out there. And it's midnight. In can you hear there us? He is. Okay, Nick. Yeah, I'm back. I'm back. <laughs> All right. What were you saying about the Jags? <laughs> or Ron Rivera? Excuse me. Ron Rivera, first coach fired. Sorry about that. No, um, you're good. Yeah, they so looks to be a good schedule. Jaguars lost. <laughs> oh no! Talk me. You might want to just pull your video off, Nick, so the internet can maybe handle it if you need to. Because yeah. we got to we got to finish this up, right, Chase? Yeah, yeah, no, you're good. You're good. All right, Nick. Try again. First yes, time there you are. You're back. Last time we saw Carson Wentz in it's a video a thing. Colts uniform uh, mm. against the Jacksonville Jaguars, and he was a disaster. Uh, I know we, our good friend Jarrett Bailey is big on the commanders, and I don't really understand why. 
Um, <laughs> without Chase Young for the first four. I don't understand. What, yeah. What were you saying? Inventing a permanently flawed quarterback who at some point in the season is going to melt into a giant puddle. And I think that could happen a lot soon. Yeah. But um, Sam Howell looks good. It might be yeah. Sam Howell. Maybe that's the best thing for him. Sam Howell. Cannon. He was a former, people just forget because college football just changed so quickly, like Spencer Rattler and guys like that being the number one mocked uh, quarterback for the upcoming season. And he has to go change schools and all that kind of stuff. And we'll see how he does. Not a great week one in that offensive line in uh, Columbia. It's not great for Rattler, but Hal was a preseason number one pick at one point where he had that upside and he had the really rough uh, final year at UNC. But I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, he's a pretty good player in washington um my first coach fired matt eberflus in chicago i think this is going to go so horribly where i just get the steve wilkes vibe in chicago where defensive-minded coaches they already scare me you look at the wide receiver talent you look at just what chicago is work looking is just working with going into this year people are like oh it's year one who's gonna fire man if you're bad enough offensively, it can happen very, very quickly. I mean, they have a tough schedule out of the gate. They get your uh, 49ers, Evan, right out of the gate. They go to Lambeau. The Texans at home, you got to win that one. But at New York, at Minnesota, you're at New England, at Dallas. You get Miami in the fold. You get the AFC East. You go to Atlanta. You go to New York. Uh, it's just, I don't know. I look at this and... I think it's going to be rough. I would not be the least bit surprised if it's a disaster in Chicago and Matt Eberflus is just the fall guy for the lack of options. Justin Fields struggling again this year without the options and running for his life and everything else. I just, I don't see it. I think the bears are in for a really, really rough year where they finished last in the NFC North. I think the the lines passed them and that might be enough for uh, just a, Oh God! This was a one-year blip, kind of like the David Coley thing in Houston last yeah. year. Yeah, I do think that the the Niners Bears game is going to be the biggest toy point differential and <laughs> and a loss of of week one. I'm serious. And you're a big field guy. You're going to have I mixed emotions it. as Bosa just destroys Justin Fields in that offense on Sunday. I'm hoping they they have to bench him by like third quarter because it's that bad. There you go. Uh, quickly, your AFC and NFC MVP, Evan. Uh, AFC MVP is going to be Justin Herbert, and NFC MVP is going to be Nick Bosa. Okay, I like it. Nick, what about you? AFC MVP, Josh Allen, I think he'll win the whole thing. Um, NFC MVP, you know what, I will go home on this one. I'll say that Trey Lance has a breakout year because everybody, everything, everybody, sorry, everything everybody expects him to be in San Francisco doesn't quite get him. Yeah, I could definitely see the Trey Lance pick. If, if Trey Lance goes, and and the you know and the Niners, I mean, dude, if the deep ball works, it's over. He's winning those games. Just to be clear, folks, Evan Swartz is he could see a path to Trey Lance winning MVP in twenty twenty two. Who would have ever thought? Whomst among us could have foreseen Evan talking hey, himself into MVP Trey Lance? Hey, the last time I made a declaration like that, I said in twenty nineteen that the Forty ers would have the best defense in the NFL, and I was right. Yes, that's true. That's true. Uh, I'm going to go Lamar Jackson in the AFC, and I am going to go. Uh, this is going to be tough, but I'm going to go. NFC was way more difficult for me. I'm going to say 
Tom Brady. The in uh, oh, and Nick disappeared. Um, so I'm gonna go Tom Brady in uh, in that in that regard. So, uh. Last thing on this, and then we run through our two-minute drill on our Screw the Lines week one picks. Evan, uh, who has the season from hell and misses the playoffs in the AFC? And who has the season from hell and misses the playoffs in the NFC? Season from hell. I'm going to say the season from hell is going to be the Raiders. Ooh, um, okay. They have to. They have. They have the toughest division, right? They have monster mm-hmm. powerhouse teams, uh, and I think a lot of people are very high on the Raiders, but someone is going to come out of that divisional loser. And I just think it has to be the Razors. Having to play those teams six games this year is tough. Mm. Um, So I I do think that'll be the issue. Season from hell in the NFC, there's a lot of picks. The NFC is not nearly as strong as it usually has been. Mm. Um, But that said, you know, it depends on the severity. I'll say Cowboys because I think that, you know, every year their expectations as fans are so high. Mm. And I think they're they're not going to be a, a, a strong team this year. I think they'll be kind of middle of the pack. Um, and for them, that's, that's you know season from hell. I like it. I'm going to say in the NFC, the the Panthers they implode and it yeah. all goes awry and they clean house this offseason and uh, it goes the opposite way of where they are hoping it goes. In the AFC, I am going to go. Another one, AFC was more difficult for me here. Um, I'm going to say the – I'm going to say the Titans. I'm going to say the Titans have the season from hell. I think the Colts break through, finally win the division, Jags overachieve a little bit, and the Titans miss the playoffs. And you're like, oh, crap. This is where things start to shift. And Malik Willis needs to be our quarterback. Derrick Henry's mileage is starting to add up i could see because it's going to happen uh, either this year or next year where the titans have to reset a little bit and go with the young guy and do a slight little retooling here they'll be um, out they'll be happy when they'll be happy when ryan Tannehill is gone i i think that's a possibility um nick did your season from hell in the afc and the nfc who do you got uh, I'm going to agree with you on the first one in the NFC. AF, uh, Panthers, everything blows up. Mm. Baker Mayfield, famously not the easiest guy to get with in, lock, in the locker room by all accounts. Matt Rule is out of a job, which is what probably at the end of everybody in Carolina wants anyway, and they end up in the hunt for a top pick, which which make everybody happy. I think it'd be a season from hell that would be accepted in Carolina just to get to somewhere much better than where they are. Mm. And sticking on the Baker Mayfield theme uh, in the AFC, the Browns, uh, mm. they'll be made to regret not trading for Jimmy Garoppolo and sticking with Jacoby Brissett, who is nowhere near as good and can't keep him afloat for 11 games. And then Deshaun is left to deal with that a lot when he eventually is allowed to play. Couldn't happen to a better organization. Uh, so the, no, no, te- no tears shed there. Um, the room switch, I think, worked, Nick. I think we found the right, the right room for the pod uh, going forward for your next uh, appearance. Um, now, Evan, it's our favorite time. The clock, it's back. Nick, we do a two-minute drill on our picks of the week. Just lightning round on this podcast. Evan... Where are we starting? Do you have the two seconds or two minutes rather on the clock ready to go? Uh, I do indeed. Um, okay. I, I will get that started and go. Okay. So Rams and Bills, I'm taking the Bills. Nick, what about you? We'll go Evan, Nick, and then me. 
Rams Bills, second Bills as well. Sick of sick of Super Bowl champions winning the home open all the time. Cool, cool, cool. Chase. I'm going Rams. I think the Bills still have a lot of weird stuff hanging over them right now. And I don't the vibe there is not great. And uh Stafford has something to prove with the elbow inflammation. Like, I'm okay. Like my elbow's fine, actually. And we're gonna we're gonna have a good time. I'm gonna go Rams start off, uh start off hot here and win. All right. Lions and Eagles. Uh Eagles are gonna win this one pretty handedly, although I do love Dan Campbell. There you go. Eagles in a squeaker. Lions make it competitive. Interesting. See, this is where I'm glad Hard Knocks is over because the the Lions and the love there. It's like, all right, let's see when the winds come in. Like, let's let's see what actually happens when I'm going to say the Eagles blow them out. I, I think this is a blowout, and we're like, oh right, the Eagles are uh, dominant. And the, AJ Brown has a big first game for Philly. I think he's going to be a really good player. He was targeted a crap ton this preseason by Jalen Hurts and company, and I think he's going to make life significantly easier for the folks in Philly. And Trey Sermon, see if he makes an impact yeah. right away for Philly. Give me the Eagles big. All right. And then Bears versus Niners. We will all be taking the Niners. Moving on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bengals versus Steagle Steelers. I think we'll all be taking the Bengals. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Chase has always got some f- – go ahead, bro. I, I'm going to go Bengals, but I will not be the least bit surprised if the Steelers squeak out a victory you, here. You can't tell me that you're a, you're a Joe Burrow over Justin Herbert believer if you're I'm a worried sca- about I'm the just Steelers. I'm of the post-Super Bowl hangover. I'm All just right. always going to be a little concerned about that. But I, And I also think the Steelers are going to be good this year. Right. So give me – yeah. Pats and Dolphins, the era of Mike McDaniel starts with a loss uh, or with the the Pats losing. Dolphins are going to win this one. Yeah, even the Dolphins, not convinced by anything to do with New England on both sides of the ball. Mike McDaniel gets off off with a W. Interesting. And this is in Miami, right? I think so, yeah. yeah. New England and Miami is just never a great a great thing. We go back to the Tom Brady years. He never had a good time in Miami. Give me Miami in the opener, too. I, I like uh, Miami here. All right. Well, Chad Henney vibes. Yes. Uh, Panthers, Browns. I'm taking the Browns. These teams are both suck. <laughs> uh, slam both these teams. So a tough one. But yeah, Browns, close one. Uh, but that gets over midfield. Give me the Panthers. I think the Baker pissed off game. Like, I don't think this is going to work. Long term, but I do think he actually starts off hot and that he, he gets a he gets some revenge against his former team. Give me the give me the Panthers here. That would be a great thing. I would enjoy that a lot. Uh Texans versus Colts, the Matt Ryan era in oh, Indianapolis is, just, is gonna be a blowout. This is gonna be the biggest blowout. And I just book this one into like this is blowout city. Thirty eight. I think the seven. Texans have a better I mean, I'm biased. They smashed the Niners in preseason, <laughs> but I think the Texans will have a better season than we expected. That running back is cold, and their defense looks decent. Okay. All right. What about you guys? Oh, I got Colts by a landslide. Yeah, Colts. I think the uh, the Texans have the vibes of that team that wins every preseason game and then wins like two games and the rest of the entire season. So, yes. Yeah. I, I for the Falcons and Saints. I hope the Falcons win for Marcus Mariota and Chase's sake, but uh, I think the Saints win win this one. Uh, give me Falcons. Week one upset. Week one's weird. Wow. Would love that. Falcons on the road. Week one. I 
look, I'm going Falcons. Just I, my mind says Saints, but I'm gonna, I'm, I'm just not doing that. I will, no matter what pick them, I'm never picking the Saints over the Falcons. Yeah, never King's face, so. There you go. <laughs> all right, and then up next, we're gonna do Ravens and Jets. I think we're all gonna be taking the Ravens here. Yeah, yeah, blowout. All right. All right, and then Jags versus Commanders is. Oh, this is gonna be the lowest rated game of Week One, I think. The this is just slop city. There's no way uh, a lot of folks are tuning in this one. Give me the Jags here, though. Yeah, I'm taking the Jags because Trevor Trevor's gotta gotta eventually become this quarterback that everyone's expecting him to be. I think it's a good way to start out by playing the you know playing the Commanders. Yeah, three out of three. All the reports from Jack Campbell, Trevor Lawrence have been outstanding. I think they win this one, and he. Has a very, very, very good second season. There you go. Uh, where are we going next? Packers and Vikings. Uh, I'm taking the Vikings. This is my week one upset. Vikings week one. Okay. What about you, Nick? Uh, Packers to me. Uh, I think this is in Minnesota, so it might be a little bit tougher, but I mm. don't think it'll make a difference this time. All right. Yeah, give me Packers too. Giants and Titans. I'm going Titans. Yeah. Titans, yeah. Yeah, Titans, clean sweep. Raiders and Chargers. I'm taking Chargers. Where is this one? Uh, uh, no LA. Yeah, it's in LA. Uh, yeah. Charges in overtime. Ooh, give me the Raiders here. A lot to prove. Give me the Raiders right out of the gate over over LA. I think they're going to be... This is a home game for LA, or for the Vegas Raiders uh, back in LA. I think this is oh, going to yeah. be a home game yeah. for the Raiders. Yeah. Give me the Raiders. Cards and Chiefs. I'm taking the Chiefs. Yeah, Chiefs. So I already spoke about it. Well, uh, cards might score points. Defense can't keep uh, Patrick Holmes out of the end zone. Give me the Cardinals here. I believe in the early season, uh, <laughs> the early season Arizona Cardinals. I think they win this. Wow. Okay. Cowboys and Bucks. I'm taking the Bucks. Yeah, uh, Buccaneers. Similar to last year, I think it's close. This one's in Dallas. It might be even could be even closer than last year. It was a one possession game, so it could be another last second field goal type thing. But yeah, I think uh, Brady gets it done. Give me the Cowboys at home. All right. And then, what, you know, by the way, I think I was wrong about the biggest point disparity. Broncos Seahawks might be that. Russell Wilson is going to absolutely murder his old team. Yeah, I agree with that one. As my uh, cat is scratching at the door because it's absolutely it's shelling it down with rain here in, in the north of England. No surprise. But, yeah, uh, they'll be shelling points uh, in, uh, in Seattle. They'll uh, be going back up there. We're going to be Broncos by a lot. There you go. I like it. Broncos by a landslide. We did it. We're back. Week one in the books. We're ready to go. I'm excited to watch a bunch of football. Nick, thank you for making the time uh, here on this Monday edition of the program. We greatly appreciate you making the time. Um, All that good stuff. Evan Swords, thank you as always, my friend, uh, for uh, coming on the pod as you do at this time every week. I've got to run, but... Guys, thank you as always. And I will uh, talk to you next week, Evan. And Nick, we'll talk uh, again very soon. Pleasure, guys. Thanks a lot. All right, everyone. All right, we're back here on the Chase Most Podcast, where I am now joined by a first-timer over on Dogs HQ, the great on three Georgia Bulldogs site. Jake Roos is here. Jake, good morning, sir. How are you? Hey, Chase. I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me today, buddy. Thanks for being here, man. I feel like Georgia fans are pretty, pretty content with uh, how this weekend went, I imagine. 
Yeah, I think that there's uh, definitely some confidence around the program after that performance on Saturday. Georgia fans, you know, going into this, uh, expected this to be one of the marquee games on the schedule, one of the toughest challenges Georgia would face all year. And uh, the Bulldogs made pretty quick work of the Ducks. Uh, felt like they kind of just picked up where they left off last season, and that's what everybody was hoping for. Certainly that's what Kirby Smart's been hoping for. Uh, you know, it's that rebuild or that reload, not rebuild mentality for sure. Was that about what you expected? What was your score going into this one? No, I, I predicted that uh, Oregon would be able to score a little bit. I, I went with uh, 38-21 on this one. Mm. Um, and so they they exceeded it on both <laughs> ends. Um, you know, I, I thought, like a lot of people did, I think that, you know, going into this game, Georgia would probably run into some hiccups, probably, um, you know, uh, be replacing a lot of guys on defense. That might create some holes. Dan Lanning, of course, was probably going to know those holes as well as anybody, given his experience with the Bulldogs and having recruited those guys, worked with them for several years. So, you know, I thought that they might be able to exploit a little bit of that, but there was nothing to exploit on Saturday. Uh, Georgia just kind of picked up, uh, plugged new guys in and, and made it look like, uh, like I said, a continuation from last year. And uh, that has a lot of people really excited about the potential of this team moving forward. I thought it was interesting coming out of this one um, that uh, being a Tennessee guy, it's interesting to, I think one of the crossovers, I was talking to Matt about this in the college football show yesterday, is that like Tennessee, the one thing that can bring Tennessee fans and Georgia fans together this year is that their two quarterbacks are the actual productive efficient college quarterbacks that every like national person wants spencer rattler and will levis to be where it's like we're we're just forecasting what they're going to be in the nfl and whether or not they can be a first round guy that kind of thing but in practicality week over week i mean the efficiency from hendon and from stetson is just unmatched that you know what you're getting you're getting elite uh college uh quarterback play in the power five right now week to week but I think it's interesting from Stetson's standpoint because something that I noticed and I wonder um, at the site and from fans that y'all interact with and talk to is that like Stetson's now in the Heisman conversation and now like you saw the odds jump up. And if you didn't get on this before uh, this weekend, then uh, you may have uh, missed out on a big payday uh, a few months from now. But I think it's interesting because I think there's two schools of thought on this, which is that like, well, it's the Will Anderson thing all over again, kind of from last year where Jalen Carter was doing some crazy stuff in this game. And Jalen Carter is the best player on this Georgia team. And Will Anderson was uh, what he was doing last year at Alabama and Bryce Young, but it always will lean quarterback, offensive skill player, that kind of thing. But it's also, I just jotted down. I was like, I, I want the stat to see who had the longest amount of time to throw over the weekend. And I feel like Stetson Bennett might have had the, and this is again, not a slight Georgia fans who are listening to this. It's not a slight because now it's very protective. Stetson won the title. Stetson's our guy, but something you jot down, it's like quarterbacks are better with a clean pocket. Quarterbacks are better when they have time to throw. Quarterbacks are better when you have the offensive line that Georgia's throwing out. And I think that was something that's the biggest change from this year. And last year for me was just that like, yes, yeah, Stetson's better. But that offensive line is better, and that's terrifying if you're an opposing uh, defense going into uh, Athens this fall, right? Is that a fair yeah. critique? 
No, I think so. Uh, you know, I think the offensive line, I mean, you came into this game with some questions on this offensive line. I don't know that you leave without questions in terms mm-hmm. of who's going to be the long-term options at some of these spots. I mean, the guard spots, in my opinion, are still really up for grabs for Georgia. I think that they've got about four or five guys that they're rotating in and out. You saw a lot of Amarius Mims on Saturday coming in and spelling guys. I mean, this is a situation where they're trying to find, you know, four or five guys here that, uh, that, that really gel and, and kind of get together but look everybody did what they were supposed to like you said Stetson had all the time in the world and and you know to his credit as well though I felt like Stetson came in and played with a little bit more swagger than we've seen from absolutely him. Uh, you know he 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 was uh a guy who looked like he came into this year confident and the confidence that you get maybe in knowing that you're the man now you've got the job this is the first time that we've in in his 15 years in Athens that Stetson's been the starter for the mm-hmm. for game one and, and the projected guy for the year and so I think that that probably boosted his confidence quite a bit and I think that you saw that translate over to his play on the field he was playing with a great command uh, making great reads and uh, you know seemed to just be out there playing a little pitch and catch I just it for me you think back to what Bryce did against Stallburn right where he had to just that was like one of those oh Bryce is different he he had to put the team on his back that Alabama offensive line was not what it's been years past Doug Marone out after one year they pull the Kentucky offensive line coach to replace him and nip that in the bud because that's what Alabama does like oh this is a weakness last year we're we're fixing that we're not we're not dilly-dallying around um I just don't think if Stetson is going to win the Heisman, if Stetson's going to get there, it's not the Oregon game in week one that propels him. It's not what we saw on Saturday. I think it's Mississippi State. That's what I've circled is the game against Mississippi State. And I'm curious for you, after what you've seen from Tennessee uh, this past week, because if you look at Georgia's schedule, it was Oregon, it was Tennessee, maybe Florida, maybe Florida, we'll get to them. And then... Uh, Mississippi State was the one that I had circled of like, I am very curious because of what Mississippi State Georgia looked like a couple of years ago. Uh, we know the record with uh, Mike Leach coaches or Mike Leach coach teams when they have a third year quarterback. Will Rogers put on a clinic against a good Memphis team over the weekend. They were had the most returning production in the SEC from a year ago. I am very curious because I think that's his Heisman moment where he has to go throw for throw against Will Rogers. If he has to put the team on his back to survive and keep an undefeated type season against Mississippi state. That's when I think the Heisman moment will maybe come about and I'll, I'll be a bigger believer. Is that fair? Yeah, I mean, I can see that. You know, I, I think that I, I still have Tennessee and, and Kentucky circled as the two most interesting games hmm. left on Georgia's schedule. I, I think that Georgia's offense is pretty well built, and especially given when they play Mississippi State, hmm. I think that they're going to have the confidence and the swagger needed, and I think that they've got the guys that can be able to control a lot of this, and I think that they'll have game experience under their belt as well. So, uh, you know, Mississippi State looked great in week one, and I think is a talented team coming out of the West, uh, you know, uh, Brian Kelly probably wishes he was coaching them right now. But mm. I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, I think that it's a situation really right now where uh, those those two still strike me as the most interesting because I think 
that uh, they may be more complete teams than mm. than Mississippi State uh, right now. Um, you know, I think Georgia will be able to answer defensively what Mississippi State's able to do offensively uh, to some degree. And I really question uh, Mississippi State's ability to stop Georgia's offense uh, at this point in the year. Uh, more so than I do. I think Tennessee and and Kentucky have uh, have a, a bit stronger defense, and I think that that's probably where it will factor in. Interesting. Um, when you uh, think about the offensive line, we talked about that a little bit. What you mentioned rotating guys in at the guard spots. Um, who are you most excited about uh, the rest of the way? Who who's going to pop the most? The next Georgia great offensive lineman of that group. You know, I mean, Broderick Jones, I think, has mm-hmm. a chance to play himself into a high round pick. Uh, I think that he can be a first round guy if, if things go the way that they did on Saturday. Um, you know, he's a prototype of the spot uh, built for it. And the kid who really came on strong in the end of last year and they came into that national championship game and made a huge difference for the Bulldogs. I think Broderick is a guy who can really, really, really boost his stock this year. Um, you know, and and one of the forgotten heroes of this uh, group, you know, it, listen, Cedric Van an outstanding center, one of the best, I think, in the nation. But one of the forgotten heroes, I think, of Georgia's whole offense to me is, is Warren McClendon at mm. right tackle. I think he's a do-it-all guy, a five-position player. You could plug and play him wherever you needed him. Uh, you know, we, you've got a prototype in Broderick, so you don't need him at left. But I, I feel confident he could step in and play there. I think he's a smart guy, great frame on him. I, I think Warren's a guy who has a chance to really uh, boost his stock as well this year. Being a recruiting guy, uh, me being a Georgia guy, uh, uh, coming, going to Parkview and covering Friday Night Lights and everything uh, here in the South each and every week, I saw a lot of Malachi Starks. And <laughs> Malachi Starks was just going to be a player. And when you saw that he was going to Georgia, it was just terrifying. Uh, that just, okay, that he's going to be a player. That being said, Georgia's counting on, I mean, Kirby putting in five-star true freshman. This is not a red shirt situation where he's counting on a mul- on multiple five-star freshmen coming right in and just fitting in. But Malachi Starks, obviously with the pick, um, being used in a multitude of ways. What uh, surprised you most about the way the dogs move Malachi early on? And uh, are you surprised that he excelled uh, right out of the gate here? You know, I'm not surprised necessarily that he made some good plays. What struck me was that he led the team in tackles. And yeah. then that interception is one of the best you're going to see all season. I mean, it was it was a ridiculous play by him. Mm-hmm. And so I think that it was a real testament to this kid's future and what Kirby and the team have, saw, have seen from him. I mean, you know, we were hearing back in spring that, that he wasn't maybe progressing in the way that they had hoped that he would in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, uh, it, it just wasn't coming to him naturally. Uh, you know, they, they felt great about his athleticism but was he picking up the scheme uh you know this fall camp i think everything got kicked into a different gear and suddenly he's a kid who going into game two you feel like's probably the perceived starter for that spot all year whereas dan jackson was the guy who was kind of expected to hold that down and then malachi maybe come in later in the year and, and sort of uh you know set the stage for next year for him to come out and have that performance in game one like you said that's pretty scary i think for a lot of other teams uh, to see a freshman do what he did play as athletically as he did um just a gonna be a great one i think uh and and i knew a lot of people who felt that way i felt that malachi you know sky was the limit kind of thing for him i did not have on my bingo card <laughs> interception and uh and and leading the team in tackles in week one when you look at what the defense did against oregon i mean oregon did 300 over 300 yards of total offense they were able to move the ball a little bit it was just bonix is still bonix and there were some bad picks and things like that but 
I'm curious for someone who watched every game uh, this past year of what Georgia's defense looked like, what's going to be the biggest difference with the defense this year based on what you saw against Oregon? What might be a weakness that Georgia fans should be prepared for? Is there a weakness that they did not have a year ago that you think might rear its ugly head in the weeks to come? Uh, you know, the only real concern I have uh, is the depth in the middle at middle linebacker. Mm. Um, you know, last year you had three outstanding guys there in the Kobe Dean, Quay Walker and Channing Tindall. They were able to rotate those guys through. And then you had Jamon Dumas Johnson who came on throughout the year and you felt like was a good depth piece. Now he's leading the way. Smile Munden came in and played in this game and had a really good game. I thought it was all over the field, looked very athletic. He's a long guy. I think that they really feel good about his future at that position as well. But behind those guys, I think the commodities are a little lesser known. And Mm. I think that, uh, you know, you're talking about, is it Jalen Walker, uh, you know, a a freshman that they turn to, uh, you know, how do they kind of balance this room out and make sure that those guys are are getting the necessary breathers that they need in these close games that, uh, you know, they they may run into down the stretch. I think that that's where the concern lies for me. I feel like they're deep at corner, um, you know, safety, probably now with Malachi and Dan Jackson back there uh, rotating around a little bit. That feels better. You know, I was a little worried about that Chris Smith injury. It looked like Mm. he banged his shoulder up during that game. And I I thought that could have been impactful for Georgia. You don't know that you have just a clear guy behind him. And really with all of these guys uh, going into this year, it's been about, you know, not talent. Uh, Georgia's recruited great players, but it's about guys who've done it when the band's playing and and done it when the, the bullets are flying. And I think that that's the concern that you have with this Georgia defense is, uh, you know, the talent is there. Um, you know, how will they continue to gel moving forward? If week one was any indication, I think they'll be fine. But is the depth behind them of the same caliber? Were you surprised at the run pass distribution on offense in week one for Todd Monken? Not really. Uh, You know, I think that Georgia is a team uh, that is very content to take what they get. And I think mm. that they felt like they could exploit the the pass game. And so they went with it. Um, you know, I think that when Georgia wants to turn back to the run game, uh, they'll have the ability to do that. But I think that, you know, Oregon sold out to stop it. I think that they knew that that was going to be, you know, something that they would have to contend with if, if they didn't. I mean, you know, and, and then Kenny McIntosh comes out of the backfield and leads the team in receptions and receiving yards. And so it's not like they were able to really contain the running back. It was just, the, you know, from, from a straight handed off stand point they were able to squelch that but hey look if georgia's if you're going to give georgia 450 through the air they're going to probably take that every game if you if they do and uh, they'll be content to sit back on the backs who's the next back is it edwards is it because mcintosh is gonna be out of the backfield right is it milton if he can stay healthy because milton looks like he's put on a lot more muscle mass unless my eyes are deceiving me that man looks significantly more jacked than the last time i saw him yeah, you know, I think they're neck and neck right now. Hmm. I think it's I, I think Kenny's number one. I think that he brings the versatility that Georgia wants. To me, he's a guy who feels like, uh, you know, what everybody thought James Cook should have been his whole career. Uh, you mm. know, you saw it in week one. I think he's that type of player, a gadgety guy. Um, and, you know, I think that that used to be a negative word, and I don't mean it that way. It's just a guy who can do so many things for you that mm. you can't keep him off the field. Uh, you know, I think Edwards and Milton are, are pretty neck and neck. I think Kendall's got a lot more power uh, than Edwards. I think Edwards probably the more explosive of the two, probably the guy who um, is going to, uh, you know, maybe uh, 
hit the hole a little faster. But to me, Kendall brings a, a big body and a lot of power from that running back position. I, I think that he's a guy who can be a bulldozer for the dogs and a good change of pace back. And so mm-hmm. I, I think Edwards is somewhere probably in the the, the middle between uh, both Kenny and Kendall. I think that he's kind of the the sort of the, the amalgamation of both, if you will. And so I think that, uh, you know, Georgia's got some good options there. Now, three's not super deep. They got Branson Robinson at the four spot, uh, the talented freshman, but uh, going to be interesting to see how they distribute carries moving forward. I still think Kenny's the guy to uh, watch out for for the rest of the year, just because I think he's going to be tough to keep off the field. Young player, you're most excited to get some serious run on Saturday that you have not seen much of yet in a Georgia uniform. Uh, you know, I'm, I'll be looking forward to uh, seeing if Marvin Jones is a guy who can hmm. live up to his hype. I mean, he's a five-star guy. It was a big pull out of Plantation, Florida. Um, you know, Georgia felt good, and I think he's a guy who's, like, on the cusp of breaking through. Um, I think that he's a guy who could uh, really help them out because, uh, you know, pass rush is uh, at a premium always, and he's a kid who they believe uh, can really uh, help in that respect. The other guy I'm watching out for is a guy that is not talked about a lot because he wasn't one of the higher ranked guys. He played down in South Georgia. It was a little hidden down there, and that's Darius Smith. I Mm. think Darius Smith is a guy that people will know um, before the end of his career in a big way. Uh, You know, somebody sent me a picture of him the other day. I mean, his arms were down to his kneecaps. I mean, (laughs) this kid is long. I'm not kidding you. I can send you the photo. Yeah, send you the photo. I'm not exaggerating. I mean, this is this kid is long as the day is, man. Mm. And I, he is. uh, uh, You're talking about a guy who was a a track star a championship contender uh in georgia high school track at six foot five you know 225 where'd he go uh, he was out of appling county in baxley okay yeah um so you know i mean he's buried down there i mean it's not Mm -hmm. like it's the easiest place for people to get to but yeah i think that kid sky's the limit for him offensively i'm looking at ernest green i really want to see a lot of ernest on saturday um you know i think that he's probably uh of georgia's uh offensive line class from last year the crown jewel without a question and a guy that we've heard really nice reports about coming out of uh uh, practices even in the the spring and, and in the fall too i think that he's a kid with a very bright future on the georgia offensive line it's funny how that works in recruiting, right? Um, where I think Cam Seldon uh, would have been a much bigger name uh, if he had been in a, an easier place to get to. And Tennessee just kind of looked out being in location and sending the right guy to the right time. And they're like, oh, yeah, this uh, town of like 700 people over here pushed away in the middle of nowhere, Virginia. And it was uh, it worked out. And like Cameron Seldon, I'm, I'm very excited about uh, coming into this fold next year. But that is interesting. Um, speaking of recruiting, we'll end here, uh, Jake. So. When you look at this fall and some early tape, uh, high school football has been underway for three weeks uh, here in East Tennessee. I, I guess the schedule is the same still in GHSA, right? They've been three weeks. Um, which Georgia target has you most intrigued and has put up uh, some tape where you're like, ooh, this is, uh, this is interesting. He's different than a year ago. Ooh, different than a year ago. That's interesting to think about. I, I mean, the guy I was going to say initially that I'm mm. probably most excited about is Tyler Williams uh, mm. out of Lakeland, Florida. Um, I This is a kid, man. Yo, I tell people, I just say, go turn the tape on because – to think that this kid has only been playing football for a couple of years with mm. the frame that he has, the awareness that he has, this kid was destined for basketball. So he thought, you know, he was mm. going to be a hardwood star and he's translated so much of that over to the football field. He is an athletic 
freak and a matchup nightmare. I think that Tyler Williams is a guy that is going to really put some people on notice the rest of this year and uh, going to be fun to watch for sure. I, I think that, um, you know, he's the guy I probably got circled highest on my list. You know, outside of him, um, gosh, you know, Jalen Hale looks good. Uh, you know, Georgia's got to get out and find a running back. Jamarian Wilcox is a guy to watch out of South hmm. Paulding in Atlanta. He's had a really strong start to his year and I think can play himself into an offer uh, if he's able to keep his foot on the pedal. So, um, you know, I think that there's a, I mean, look, it's, it's Georgia high school football, man. I mean, it's the best of the best. And I think that uh, there's some guys that we're going to see bloom in this class. I think that they're, they're guys that are kind of on the cusp of breaking through and are showing it to these early goings that uh they're ready for their moment do you think hobbs ends up at georgia or no i think that that's a very possible thing at this moment um i had a chance to speak with him last night and you know he was Mm. very complimentary of what he saw he's got family in the atlanta area that's always beneficial but Mm. really for me the the big sell the big thing that i think helps georgia the most is they're getting the final ov and you know i think that uh being later in the season i think that that's going to really be a a big boost for him and their chances i think that um you know hobbs is uh, he's as high on the, the defensive line board, I think, right now as about anybody for the Georgia Bulldog. Yeah, Tennessee and Georgia are in a dogfight for uh, for Hobbs, it seems like. And uh, last thing, I, last thing, this is because uh, I'm curious from your perspective. Ricky Gibson, who I just penciled out, like once Georgia was going hard after him, it's like, OK, we're not getting Ricky Gibson either. Um, and just really started to worry. It's like, can Tennessee just have one corner? Can we have one quarter? And um, he's he's interesting. Like what? Should Tennessee fans feel uh, most excited about when it comes to Ricky Gibson? And uh, were you surprised he did not end up at Georgia? I was a little surprised. I mean, we felt like he was trending Georgia most of that week, um, mm. you know, moving into it. And I think it changed about two to three days out. Mm. Um, but, you know, uh, Ricky Gibson, I went and watched the tape and I, I see what everybody else is seeing from him, man. I mean, mm. I, I, again, I go back to that word versatility. And I think in mm. co- today's college football world, that's the big thing is, you know, how can we utilize this guy in many ways? I mean, he's a guy who, you know, played both sides of the ball very effectively, uh, you know, and I love, love 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 uh, a corner who plays wide receiver as well mm. i think it gives them a different perspective on the game i think that it get, makes a more heady guy gives you a chance to kind of anticipate a little bit better mm. um you know but I, I think that ricky gibson's a good player man i think that uh you know he's a guy that look you don't get tennessee and georgia knocking on the door uh you know if you're if you're you know a sunbelt guy uh, for mm. the most part other than lad mcconkey maybe but <laughs> i think that i think that uh you know ricky's uh ricky was a good pull and i i'm sure georgia would uh definitely probably welcome him back uh if he was uh interested in exploring his options further well, Ricky, uh, a noted long-term listener to the podcast, Ricky Gibson, just disregard that last little bit from Jake. Uh, George has moved on. Uh, it's done deal. Don't don't worry about it. They're, they have enough. Um, Jake Roos, what can the good folks check out from you and the team over at Dogs HQ today and this week? Yeah, uh, come check us out. We got full uh, recaps of the game. Uh, we've got a ton of reaction from recruits that were at the game. Uh, obviously, some very positive notes there. Um, uh, we're running a great special right now, too. It's $1 for one year over at Dogs HQ. Uh, we just added Jake Rowe, one of the premier uh, team beat writers on George's Beat and a good friend of mine. I'm so happy to be working alongside Jake. Um, so we got a lot of really cool stuff going, man. And, uh, you know, it's looking like it's 
you know, one game in, you hate to say it, but uh, it's looking like it could be another good year for the Bulldogs. And if that's the case, uh, I think, uh, you know, a buck for the coverage, not a bad deal. So come check us out over at Dogs HQ. Uh, we got you covered on all of it, all fronts, team, insider notes, recruiting, etc. cetera. And uh, if you want, you can follow me at Roos Recruiting. That's R-E-U-S-E Recruiting over on Twitter. There you go. Jake, thank you so much for making the time this morning. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, we'll have to reconnect again soon. Sounds great, Jake. All right, hello, and welcome back to the Chase Owens Podcast. We are now joined by the Gator expert. And folks, you got to go to youtube.com slash Chase Owens Podcast to see this because a very, very sweet setup that uh, <laughs> every college football fan should want to recreate uh, for their own team uh, in their office. This is this is what you want to do right here. David Waters of Gators Breakdown is here. David, good morning, sir. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, I like the Andy Griffith behind you, too. So uh, Andy Griffith. I got yeah. Ben Matlock right here. Yeah, when he's a little yeah. bit older, Ben Matlock is my guy. <laughs> we got Peyton Manning. I don't think you'll like that as much. Doc <laughs> Rivers. But, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm doing my best. Not yeah, like you, though. You've got the – how long did that take, David? Let's see. I started a podcast in 2016, and that was a previous house, a very, very basic mm. setup there, and then uh, moved to this house in 2017. But – where it's at now uh, with the projector and all that stuff, that was about two weeks ago. But yeah, just kind of been adding to it throughout the years. I like it. I like it. Um, I imagine you're feeling pretty good. Gator fans are feeling pretty good on this Monday afternoon uh, after the victory over Utah. Um, your immediate takeaway that is different two days later, David. Oh, um, I'm not sure I feel much different than than, than two days ago. Um, hmm. You know, I was probably some of the feedback, I guess, from maybe a, a national perspective of, you know, there were not a lot of pundits out there very high on Florida. Uh, hmm. And I, I guess probably the difference is that there was a little bit of admission out there that said, okay, maybe we did overlook uh, this team a bit. Maybe hmm. – we go back and look, and maybe it was just a, a, a coaching staff that just lost a team last year. We, and, mm-hmm. and we, we kind of knew there was more team or more talent on this team than what was showing last year, uh, starting with you know the Kentucky game and the, and the wheels falling off the rest of the season. And I think the realization was, hey, I mean, this was a team that played Alabama pretty close, and then mm-hmm. the very next week beat a pretty good Tennessee team, and then the wheels fell off. It wasn't, you know, they they played close with Alabama, and then for whatever reason. You know, then, then they shut it down. No, they played week a pretty good Tennessee team before Tennessee got everything figured out, of course. And Hendon Hooker, mm. I believe that was his first start versus Florida. Mm. But then you go and say, all right, well, the wheels fell off. That team is no good. And I think the realization now is coming along. Okay, maybe we overlooked what happened a bit last year. Uh, and we see Florida has a special quarterback that can elevate the, t- the, the talent around him. I mean, look, this isn't Alabama talent. This isn't Georgia talent. But when you go and look at what 24-7 Sports released uh, the, the composite last week right before all these games kick, kick off, and I think Florida was still 10th in the country. Yeah, you're talent. still in the blue chip ratio. Right, and you're still second in the SEC East behind Georgia as far as mm-hmm. talent goes. So I think that part got overlooked a little bit, and then Saturday night put that back on display a bit to where, okay, maybe we overlooked Florida just a bit. Did you have them winning this weekend against Utah? I did. I almost nailed it. I had 30-27, so I got the three points, uh, but it was one point off each way. So There you go. Uh, I... Yeah, I just um, 
And credit to Utah. I mean, I, I, I was giving Utah credit. I thought Utah was a pretty good team. I, I really did. But I did think, and, and I tweeted this out uh, on, on Monday. I was like, look, I don't think Utah was overrated. I just think mm. Florida was underrated. What did Utah do that surprised you in this one that gave Florida some problems early on? Absolutely nothing. Uh, <laughs> what I saw and previewed in this game leading up to it is exactly the mismatch issues, the, the problems, I, the, the, who they had at the quarterback position with Cam Rising, Brant Keithy at tight end, Tavion Thomas there at running back. Those were the guys I was worried about, and, and it played out exactly that way. Uh, Cam Rising, probably even better of a runner. That probably mm-hmm. is the biggest surprise. I knew he was a good runner. I didn't think he was that slippery. I didn't think he was that good of a runner, but I knew Florida had to play contain on him and, and not let him go crazy. He almost <laughs> went crazy enough to, to pull out the victory for Utah. Uh, but then Brent Keithy was my biggest mismatch nightmare for Florida. I didn't think they had a linebacker that could cover him. And Florida stuck with the linebackers probably a little more than I thought they would in coverage of him. Uh, ends up paying off on the very last play for the defense because they did get a pick right there uh, by linebacker Amari Bernie. Uh, but no, the mismatches I saw that favored Utah, it played out exactly that way. Uh, and, uh, you know, just credit for Florida to you know, take, take all those mismatches, take all those um, advantages that Utah had and still come out with a victory. Were you surprised you were able to establish the run and run for what, over seven yards to carry as a collective unit in this one? And that Anthony Richardson was used so much on the ground that like, hey, Billy Napier is like, if you're a guy, this is your your bread and butter. Uh, you're going to have to run. You're going to have to take some hits against a very physical, very good Utah defense. And he took every shot and was better off for it. Were you surprised that they were able to run that well, though? Um. Yes, yes, and no, because, and I guess the yards per carry, you know, part of that Mm -hmm. is Anthony Richardson's 45 yard run. And, you know, Montreal's good. And and Montreal's good. Uh, Naquan Wright started the game off very well as well. Um, Maybe with the way the game played out, probably Montreal Johnson starts off with a fumble. Mm -hmm. Hey, look, there's a lot of trust there. Billy Napier, hey, this guy I brought with me from Louisiana. Yeah, he Mm -hmm. fumbled early in the game. I know what I have in him. And, Marshall Johnson played really well in the second half of that football game. Uh, but probably the biggest surprise, uh, true freshman Trevor Etienne. I mean, mm. very first carry of the game for him goes 19 yards. He got more carries than I thought he would. It was a little bit of a surprise that he was third on the depth chart when the depth chart got released over Lorenzo Lingard. I think mm. we see why now. But, Chase, maybe we should have listened to Billy Napier. He was like, hey, we're going to use Richardson. He's, got a, he's a weapon with his legs. We're going to use that. And we questioned that a bit because backup quarterback Jack Miller got hurt. He mm. missed half a fall camp, and he probably won't be back for another couple of weeks. Florida has nothing behind Anthony Richardson, and I credit Billy Napier, and I've thought this way myself. You don't coach scared. If an injury happens, it, it just happens. But you can't cost yourself a game because you're scared somebody might get hurt. And I, I think that's the way it was approached. And, and Billy Napier said, hey, you're a weapon. But the, the, don't get me wrong. The, the 45-yard run wasn't a design run. I mean, it was, mm. a, it was a design pass. Nothing there. Utah was in man coverage. They turn their backs. Richardson scampers off, breaks one tackle, and it's a touchdown. Um, so uh, the design runs, you know, you, you did see it where you probably should have seen it. He didn't abuse Anthony Richardson's legs. It was very strategic. and That, that, mm-hmm. that probably does come into play a little bit with trying to save him a bit. But when you have a run game, that offensive line and, and a stable of backs that go four deep, we only saw three, but they can go four deep if they want to, you know, they're, they're going to lean on that run game. So uh, maybe a little more yardage per pop than, than what I thought, but that was basically the gameplay I expected to see. Are you concerned at all with what you saw through the air? 
uh, for this Florida team? Do you think they might be a little too one-dimensional this year uh, for um, your liking? I, I did mention this on, on my review as well. We go back to the spring game. There weren't a lot of deep passes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was the same way again versus uh, Utah. It was just not a lot down the field uh, mm-hmm. as far as the passing game goes. Um, you know, so that is something. And, and Billy Napier, if you go back with leaning on a run game, if you saw what he did at Louisiana, a lot of deep passes on the, off of play action. Mm-hmm. And Florida did try to take their shots. And maybe Utah probably got a little better pressure in their situations than I thought they would. So that stem, you know, that, that definitely limited Florida completing downfield passes there, but there really, really, there really wasn't even that many attempted at, at all. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I do want to see if this offense is going to grow. That's the next step that this offense is going to go. And Anthony Richardson is, uh, and look, the more he shows that he's a threat with his leg, you know, and then, you know, w- w- there was a question if Florida had a lot of speed at receiver and they went and got Ricky Pearsall from Arizona state to transfer wide receiver. He was the leading receiver uh, as far as yardage goes for uh, yardage goes. Uh, How did you feel he played? I thought he played really well. Um, he was every, I think he had four catches. Every catch went for a first down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was, that was why Florida went and got him. Uh, Florida mm-hmm. had a lot of big body receivers. They had a lot of a take the top off fast, straight line guys, but mm-hmm. they don't have somebody who can take a screen past 60 yards. They don't have somebody who make and catch a slant over the middle and take it the distance. That's who Pearsall is. But as I say that, we need to see that. He, he is the guy that can do it, but are we going to see that from this Gator offense? Interesting. Uh, do you, is, are you selling all your shorter stock, or are you still just like maybe? Are, uh, he's kind of been known for slow starts, mm-hmm. so we'll see where the, this goes. He gets better as the year goes on in, the, in his two years that he has played. Um, mm-hmm. We'll see what this uh, – you know, we'll see. It's only one game. We'll, we'll see where it goes, but if, we, if history's any indication – we hit midseason. That's when we'll start seeing Justin Shorter's name uh, a, a bit more. But you know, credit to him too. Uh, he's just he he doesn't mind it. I mean, of course he's mm-hmm. more catches, but he still goes out there and gives it his all. He's a really good run blocker. That's why you're going to see him on the field at the receiver. He's really good at run blocking. We saw that last year. Uh, we see it this year so far. Uh, at the same time, so yeah, he's not going to be this um, you know this seven catch a game guy. He's, he's just not. Uh, but uh, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll have his moments if history's in the indication. It just may take a while to get there. How do you think Dan Mullen would have attacked this Utah team differently than what Billy Napier would have done? Did you think about it at all where you're like, what was different about what Napier did and the way he went about this game than what you saw from Mullen during his tenure? Um, probably would have relied on Richardson's legs a bit more in design hmm. runs would have pounded him into the line probably over and over and over again. Hmm. Uh, just, <laughs> the, what Dan Mullen does um, probably wouldn't have rotated backs. We wouldn't have seen Trevor Etienne. I mean, Dan hmm. Mullen at the running back position and look, we, we hear uh, if, if people follow pro sports and you're seeing Damian Pierce get all kinds of love yeah. right now for the Houston Texans. And then he was getting six carries a game last year hmm. with a struggling offense he was getting six carries a game and we scream from the mountaintops, give him the ball. Mm. Well, you know, so I don't think the, the running back rotation wouldn't look like anything like it looked like Saturday night. He would have. Sorry, it froze for a second. Yeah, um, same here. Gotcha. No, uh, but yeah, I think it's it's interesting. Um, but when you look 
at the defense. We haven't really talked about the defense, and there hasn't really been a lot. Obviously, a huge defensive stand. Uh, Utah has first and goal <laughs> twice and come away with zero points. What were you most impressed by when it came uh, to Florida's defense in this one? Uh, the, the resolve uh, that that defense would have caved last year, no question mm. about it. They, they would definitely would have caved uh, last year, and um, probably I'll go back. The, the first half they played Utah pretty well. Uh, Utah's mm. first touchdown came off of a, a fumble return from you know their, their their defense set them up on the twenty five yard line, so they didn't have far to go at all. Uh, but Florida's run defense, if they would have played the first half like they did the second half, Utah would have ran away with the game. Uh, mm. Florida's first half defense stood strong. Uh, but you knew Utah was – it was only a one-point game at halftime, so you knew they could stay in their game plan. They were going to pound the rock, and they came out right after halftime and just demolished Florida's defensive front. And that was – like as I said, that was the matchup I was worried about. And previewing this Florida team all season long, we knew defensive line was going to be an issue for Florida. Uh, not a lot of depth there. Jervon Dexter about the only proven player. Uh, and so that still kind of holds true uh, right now. But at the same time – that was a matchup I was I was worried about because just because of Utah style of play and my biggest worry for Florida. So you know we'll see. Billy Napier had his press conference on Monday, and uh, of course a, a lot to improve on. Uh, but I do think you know you talked about alignment issues on defense and uh, you know, probably more schematic parts uh, of the defense that need to be fixed. Communication a bit as well. He says, look, all it takes is one guy to be out of position and you get what you got uh, in the second half of that game Saturday night. So, you know, Florida, go back to the drawing board on defense. But at the same time, it was kind of expected. I really thought Utah would take advantage of Florida's defensive line uh, in a game turning out like it did. But they stood strong when they needed to. Do you see? Did you see enough to say that like Richardson could be a Heisman contender this year? Did you see enough to buy into the hype that there is enough there, both on the ground and with just the chance of success too? That's the other part of it. Is like how many games can Florida win? Uh, tough schedule and how yeah. many wins that they have. Uh, like just a, one of the more brutal September first year <laughs> coach uh, calendars uh, for the Gators. But did you see enough to see like a potential Heisman type run for Richardson? Uh, based off of one game, yes, uh, as you mm-hmm. said, September's tough, uh, and you got Kentucky coming up. So you know you start two and zero, and Richardson's making plays like he did Saturday Saturday night. He's going to have, I would probably say, more Heisman, even even though it's a two point conversion. Everybody's mm-hmm. going to look at the pump fake, spin around, <laughs> escape, and and, and get a, a very important two point conversion for the Gators uh, there. So th- there's your quote unquote Heisman highlight, right? Uh, even though it was a two point conversion. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the play will elevate. He's going to have to play well in the big games. So, you know, if Tennessee beats Pitt coming up this week, that's going to be a huge ranked game in Knoxville coming up at the end of September. You're going to have to go on the road. You're going to have to have a big game. You're going to have to you know, ha- have a moment on the road uh, in some big games. And you got Georgia coming up at the end of October. And that's, you know, everybody knows what happened in the first start in Jacksonville last year. Mm-hmm. Um, Georgia doesn't look like they slowed down much after a blowout win over, over Oregon. Um, mm-hmm. May not have to win that game, but you're going to have to play well in that game. But then Texas A&M the very next week uh, there, so you're going to have to probably win one of those two games if you want to go. To, to He might still be in the conversation, but if he's going to go to New York, he's going to have to win one of those two games more than likely. And then, of course, win those games you're supposed to at, at the end of the season. You can't have those disappointing losses. I mean, I guess you can if you play well, but I know a lot of people go back to 07 when Tebow won and Florida had four losses that year. Well, we got to remember, 07 was one of the craziest college football seasons we've ever had. And there yeah. wasn't really a standout team as the season went on. There were, you know, LSU won the national championship with two losses. 
that's not going to happen this year. You're going to have yeah. a really good Alabama team. You're going to have a really good Georgia team. Ohio State, you know, we'll see. Maybe overreaction with a close game in Notre Dame, but they're going to be there as well. C.J. Stroud is. So you're not going to have the upheaval in college football to go win a Heisman as a four-loss team this year. So Florida's going to have to be good, and Anthony Richardson's going to have to continue to show what he showed Saturday night. Uh, looking ahead to Kentucky, what uh, about, what part of this matchup fascinates you the most? No Chris Rodriguez, which is a tough blow for Kentucky. Yep. I think it's interesting that a lot of folks uh, beforehand, I think uh, the Gators are favored by, what, five going into uh, this one? Last I saw as well, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, think it was, um, I think it was two and a half or three. Yeah. Uh, and then it's jumped up, of course, with the big Utah win. So Yeah, and I mean... I don't think any like Kentucky struggled against the Red Hawks uh, over this weekend. And I'm not a Kentucky believer. Uh, I think Tennessee, and Kentucky, that's like the one thing that Tennessee and Florida fans come together on is like, <laughs> we're never afraid of Kentucky and you can go through the history on, uh, on that front there. But I don't know when you saw like the preseason, could they win the East? You're like, I don't think they're beating Kentucky or Tennessee this year. I think they're getting swept by the big three in this uh, division. What are we doing? I, I just think there's a disparity between the national media and what SEC East teams uh, actually think about this school. Um, But when you look at this game, are you feeling pretty confident? Because I think there's going to be some folks who pick a lot of folks pick uh, the Wildcats in this one on the road in the swamp. And I'm just, I don't, I don't see it. I I think Florida wins and covers. I think this Florida team's good. And Hey, it's better for me when I'm in kneeling undefeated florida potentially undefeated yeah. tennessee potentially goodness great my nerves will be fried but that is exactly what you want in early september uh between those two teams but but before we get ahead of ourselves we still have to get through this weekend pit on the road for tennessee and yeah. florida taking care of business here with kentucky but what uh what fascinates you the most about this matchup uh what fascinates me the most is it's going to be very similar to what florida played saturday night versus utah mm. this is going to be a team that wants to run the ball first and then mm-hmm. try to you know make their big plays uh, with the quarterback a bit probably more so with levis than you know cam rising uh if you go back and look at it he was known as more of a, a short yardage passer uh mm-hmm. the, utah wasn't going to take a lot of deep shots kentucky probably will try and take more deep shots uh there but it also opens up uh you know florida didn't have a sack saturday night didn't really surprise me all that much uh you're they're, Kentucky's going to drop back a, a little bit more compared to what Utah did. So uh, I do think there's probably some more chances as far as can get the same pressure they got Saturday night versus Utah, maybe get home a bit more uh, versus somebody like Will Levis. And I, part of the reason I wasn't really high on Kentucky this year, I think Wondell Robinson was so much of that Kentucky offense last year and so much of uh, Will Levis's success last year. I think he was like 40% of the passes. Uh, completed last year. Mm. Uh, well, Levis doesn't have that to fall back on. And, uh, you know, maybe we're overlooking something uh, there with Kentucky. Um, and Rodriguez uh, being out, of course, at the running back spot. You know, they still got uh, Cavassier Smoke, one of the best names in the SEC there. And he, he's a pretty good SEC back in, in and of his own right, but he's not Chris Rodriguez. Uh, and you'd love to have that depth as well at the same time. So, as I said, we will have to see Florida's defense uh, stand up a little bit stronger against the run. Uh, even if it's very similar, if Florida plays well on, on, on offense, I still think they'll pull it out. But this game will be a bit on Florida's defense, not let Kentucky – offense just stay on the field uh and just kind of limiting those big plays will levis it, it can hit you know versus let I me mean, last year it, it was florida's crazy enough one of florida's best defensive performances of the whole year uh with versus kentucky the only big play was ronda robinson takes a screen for a touchdown and that was it you know they, kentucky blocked the field goal uh florida's offense couldn't get going but will levis only threw for like 71 yards and most of it was only uh 
screen pass uh, that Wander Robinson took the distance. So, you know, Florida fans are a little confident. It was like, hey, if you can, if, if you couldn't score really on Todd Grantham's defense, <laughs> then you're not really going to do it this year uh, mm-hmm. for this Florida defense. So, you know, we'll see. You can, transitive property can get you <laughs> in trouble a bit in, in college football. So, you know, we'll see where it goes. Uh, if Robinson doesn't play, I know it, it was reported that he wasn't going to, but yeah. Oops has kind of been non-committal non-committable about really saying that he's suspended. So we'll mm-hmm. see where it comes uh, when it goes along that. But yeah, I, I felt confident even before the season that uh, I'm not as high on Kentucky as a lot of other people are. Uh, and then I do think, you know, but Florida being at home and now after, you know, this on the heels of this big victory uh, versus Utah, you hope there's a little more buy-in. You hope there's a little more excitement to get this thing going under Billy Napier. Maybe coach Cal has been texting Stoops like, Hey, 10 wins. Are you sure? <laughs> Are you sure? No, Chris Rodriguez in the swamp? <laughs> Stoops is mine somewhere else now. He's, he's <laughs> fighting with the basketball coach. Goodness gracious. Um, David, what can the good folks check out from you uh, this week over at Gators Breakdown? Yeah, big uh, big preview already up. I mean, big review already up of the big mm. win versus Utah. Uh, we'll have a Kentucky preview up this week as well and some interaction with the fan base out there, some uh, Twitter spaces uh, with the Gator fans out there. So a lot of excitement. Uh, right now in Gator Nation on the hills of that big win versus Utah and the SEC opener coming up. There you go. Go subscribe. YouTube.com. Gators Breakdown. He does great work. David Waters. Thank you so much for making the time today and we'll have to revisit again soon. Thanks, Jay. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.